HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy, episode 500. 500. Woo! Happy <laughs> 500th birthday, guys. I can't even believe it, guys. This is crazy. Um, uh, it's, it is crazy. I mean, there's only fucking crazy. Possible, <laughs> yeah, there's only 52 possible weeks in a year to clock 500. And, you know, it's uh, the show has been on for a long time, 12 years, man. That's incredible. Yeah, over yeah. 12 years now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. wow, you know, 500 episodes means about... I would say 3,000 guests, <laughs> yeah. something like that. Uh, yeah. No, seriously. I mean, think about really? it. I mean, like when we, when I first started this back in 2010 or 2011, can't remember when it was, but um, yeah, I would have one guest on every week and that didn't last for very long. Uh, eventually it became groups, uh, you know, duos, you know, I, you know, we got iced by uh, Noah, Noah Rockbaum and, uh, and Wondrich. <laughs> Wondrich, Wondrich you, know, like, so there's been, you know, there was a, a long while there where like Steven, uh, Steven Schneider from Employees Only would just drop into the studio like almost every week. So, yeah, I mean, maybe not 3000, but definitely 2000 and uh, somewhere around there. So, well, yeah, I mean, there were there were episodes where we had a lot. Remember the, the whole Tiki Mafia arc? There was, uh, I think, 13 of us in the studio. Yeah, um, cat pack. Yeah, the cat pack. You know, there's, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all kinds of shenanigans happening. So yeah, I mean, it highlights the you yeah. know the longevity of uh, of persistence. We're persistent. We keep uh, you keep at it, and uh, we keep bringing it when we can bring it. Yeah, we've been nominated for the Tales of the Cocktail Award every year that it's been a category. Still haven't won. Yep. <laughs> the, the, the Susan way, Lucci of podcasting. That's us guys. <laughs> That's good to bring that up. Nominations are up right now. So if anyone out yep. there wants to throw a nomination our way, that'd be great. We'll see if we can get in the mix again. Um, eventually, we got to win, I would think. We're gonna run out of I just want to get it over with at this point. I know you say it's nice to be nominated every year, but uh, I'm just like, I'm too old for this shit. Um, yeah. but <laughs> well, well, next week, our guest next week is a live bear that we're all going to fight. And that usually, if you know, Leo DiCaprio taught us anything, that's how you finally, finally cross over that finish line. So it, stay tuned it, for 501, maybe our last episode. Who knows? I'm, I'm hopeful that it's cocaine bear that we're going to fight. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I saw the ads for that. I'm like, wow, this is a real movie that real human beings drew a real salary to create. And well, it's based yeah. on a true story. That's I'm like, the, how that's can you the rub. resist? Uh, that's the rub. The true story aspect aspect of it kills <laughs> um uh, there's two movies out with bears in them right now there's also uh, the winnie the pooh blood and honey movie have you seen this <laughs> what what so winnie the pooh is now old enough to be public domain and of course right away someone took it uh and someone made a horror movie it appears that christopher robbins has left the hundred acre wood for long enough to uh, have the have the gang go feral uh, and he returns uh, to bring a friend uh, some friends with him to see the hundred acre wood and they are all uh, i guess murdered by Winnie the Pooh. You know, this show just keeps getting better. You know, we're going into like oh, movie bother. reviews. And, <laughs> what else is happening in the world? It. I want to see it though. <laughs> well, listen, uh, there's some officials out in um, 
uh, in in Oregon, the Oregon Liquor and, Ca- and Cannabis Commission. I guess they had to add and cannabis now. There you uh, go. And some of their top level managers uh, and the longtime executive director have set us have been caught setting aside for their own use some of the most sought after bourbons and other whiskeys, uh, diverting them from the public and, and uh, um, well, basically breaking ethics laws. And I was just curious what you got. We talked about it a little bit off air, just briefly. But I was curious, like, at, at first blush, when you read the headline, it sounds like, yeah, that's shitty of them. Um, but then at second blush, you're like, well, what about other people who have jobs? Like, I don't know if you're. You work for an airline in some capacity and you get better seats or if you, uh, I don't know, work for Madison Square Gardens and you get to you get to get tickets to see the shows that are impossible to get. Like, do you consider this unethical or do you consider this just a perk of the job, but it happens to be kind of a high profile perk? I'm kind of of hmm. two minds about it. I mean, it seems it seems like it's a pretty cushy position already, so I don't necessarily want to like you know uh, be like oh yes these these poor souls laboring so oh they have to try all of this whiskey and like make regulations about like what people can and can't i don't know it doesn't i have i've i've never had this person's job but at first blush it doesn't look that hard that being said (laughs) yeah i'm kind of with you like i kind of feel like this is one of these things where it's just you know if you're if you're setting aside a whole case or like the entire allocation for the state of oregon for yourself and your buddies obviously that's one thing yeah there's a special place in hell for you but if it's just a bottle or two yeah i don't it seems like a, a a whole lot of nothing to me yeah, I mean, but the timing is interesting, too. Speaking of movie reviews, um, there was actually the show Heist um, that just came out with a new season. And one of the, there's it, always a two-part series, and one of them is on Pappygate. So that just came mm. out recently. And so it, uh, it's, you know. So it's in know, the public format right now. Yeah. So it's like, if you think about the like, you know, and let's let's just be honest, that's, that's what we're talking about here is. Pappy Van Winkle, right? But like to me, they yeah. do mention Pappy specifically, but they mentioned some other other you know yeah. allocated whiskeys and bottles as well. I think I'm with Greg. I don't know, man. I like. I think people need to like kind of chill out on the Pappy Van Winkle thing. It's like it's good, but like if you're like committing crimes over, it's like come on. <laughs> There's other good whiskeys out there. We all agree on that. I think I'm sort of maybe in line with Greg if what I understood you to say is correct. Like like my example was if you work at Madison Square Gardens, you get tickets but you don't get all the seats, right? So if they're hoarding all of it, that's one thing. If they're hoarding right. a couple bottles for themselves, I guess that's another. Um, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out in Oregon. I don't know. Does this mean, now that they have the Cannabis Commission attached to that, does this mean they're also hoarding the best weed? <laughs> <laughs> is, there such a, is there such a thing? Is there a pappy of weed out there? I don't know. I mean, I be next on our first episode, uh, <laughs> a first episode of our spinoff series, The Smoke Easy, also coming next week after we fight the bear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so you've been out of town, uh, correct? Yeah, speaking of cannabis, I've been in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> mile high city, baby. I well, they are mile high. It's, they're higher than they're higher in Jamaica Air over there. Um, yeah, <laughs> we've been uh, doing a great what we're calling the Good Neighbors Tour, the first leg of the Good Neighbors Tour. You know, Maury Margot has been just down the street from Death and Company since the more opened 12 years ago. We'll be 12 years old also, Damon, in March. Wow. March, 20, uh, March 21st, 2011 was the crack open date of a Maury Margot. So, man, Jeez. yeah, it's like it all converges. Um, but we've been neighbors with Death and Company the entire time, good friends, and they've opened up, of course, in both Denver and in L.A. And in both of those shops, they have a little sidebar for kind of overflow or catch or whatever. Um, and I have always always dreamed of taking those bars over um so and being their neighbor there so that's what they finally allowed me to do so two weeks we got one more week to go um starting tonight it's wednesday through sunday um my head bartender bruce is out there for this week i was out there for the first week um and uh we're we're doing a moria margo next door to it's kind of inside of but we're saying next door next door to death and co in denver and then we'll come back here for a couple weeks and do it again in la and overwhelming uh we got a bunch of sponsors to help us out help us pay for this endeavor and our overwhelmingly largest ones is jägermeister which you guys know i've been a long time fan of and in oh, fact yeah. i i kind of strangely credit amori margo's initial um success to, to jägermeister you know we set up that bar and it was full of bottles that no one had ever seen or or, or you know weren't familiar with and we always kept a jägermeister cocktail on the menu in the beginning and we always kept a bottle of jägermeister at the top shelf center with a light actually beaming on it so when people came in, they would at least spot a bottle uh, or, or a menu item that they had some familiarity with. And I always say it was polarizing, you know, whether they like Jägermeister or not, 
at least they had a foothold and then we could start a conversation and work a drink into their hands and yeah, um, so I'm really proud and excited that they yeah yeah I'm really proud and excited to say that they've been really instrumental in making this thing happen um, and uh, if they hadn't come through I don't know that we'd be out there yet so really excited to have Jägermeister and you know uh, we're gonna um, hopefully have uh, maybe Willie Shine come and be on the show and talk about uh, everything that the Moss family has done for the, for the category. Yeah, I was going to say, Willie Shine's done a great job with that brand. Yeah, he's a great guy in general, a longtime friend of ours. Yeah, a longtime friend of ours, a, a, a great character in the in the field. You know, he's now teaching up at Bar 5 Day. Like, this is a, this is a guy who's got some history, and, and he's been working for Jaeger for a few years now. And I don't know. It's great It's great stuff, and I'm glad to see that it's getting, uh, you know, the very first cocktail of Jaegermeister's on the very first menu at Amore Margo was called the Redemption, and that was us trying to redeem Jaeger to the cocktail pantheon instead of uh, just well, relegating. Yeah, and, the, and Willie's done a great job of that, too. <laughs> you know, he, uh, you know, yeah. I had him on the show many years ago, and after the show is always kind of like my favorite. That's when we've already, we're warmed up, and we're then we go get a beer. So we went to, uh, to Rockerola in Williamsburg, and we're having a beer and a Jaeger. Yeah, nice. And uh, we were talking shop, and you know, I was like, you know, this is when I was the global brand ambassador for Brooklyn Gin. And I asked him, mm-hmm. how do, what should I do to become a better brand ambassador? And he said, well, you work in gin. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, but everyone knows you as the Fernet guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So he was, he was like, you work in botanical spirits. He's like, so don't be, don't think of yourself. Don't become a master of gin, become a master of botanicals. And that really blew my mind. And that's like some of the coolest Ooh. advice I've ever gotten from anyone. Like straight from straight from Willie Shine, you know. So really amazing really person. Fantastic. So I'm glad you got to do that. Anyway, let's get into the the show. Episode yeah, 500. Yeah, let's do it, man. You know, speaking of legends in the industry, um, yes. there's we've got one in the studio today, uh, and we're going to talk about. Also, I hope we can talk about. Uh, Mr. Cooper uh, a little bit too, but uh, before we get into that, let's welcome Chad Solomon to the Speakeasy episode 500. Welcome, Chad. Hey, buddy. Wow, wow. welcome, guys. Um, thanks for having me on. It's incredible to be here. And I, I, I just listened to to Lisa Laird's uh, episode with you guys, and I was like, Lisa, oh, yeah. am I going to get to do f- episode 500? So, congrats to you guys for uh, what an incredible run. And yeah, thanks uh, so much. Incredible thanks, content that you produced over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, and, and thanks so much for taking the time out to be with us. Thrilled to, thrilled to get to have this conversation. Yeah, Chad, where where are you right now? So I am in the Cooper Spirits office in the west side of Newport Beach, California. Cool. So you and I are both uh, cracking uh, cans of <laughs> whiskey bucks at 9 a.m. Uh, no problem with that. We're working, right? Yeah, exactly. This is, this is R- <laughs> it's R&D, always R&D. Um, yeah, I think all of us are in the virtual studios now. Having uh, I'm having the can of the Slow and Low 84 Proof uh, Rock and Rye, which uh, uh, is delicious. And uh, these things have been kicking around for quite some time. And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. It's kind of like when did the when did your can hit shelves? Well, so well the you know Slow and Low was was born in New York, uh, New York City, and really is a is a product of um, the, the the a the, the cocktail revival started in the late 90s, early aughts, and the rye whiskey revival. And Rob and Katie Cooper invited uh, me and my partner, uh, Christy Pope, um, on this journey, initially hiring us to consult on the creation of the brand. And that first conversation happened at Raul's in Soho in August of 2008. And then keep in mind, St. Germain, which Cooper Spirits, you know, released Two thousand seven in April of two thousand seven, changed the landscape. That, that was a, that, that was a sea change for the landscape of what was available mm-hmm. to bartenders. It, it was, but you know, Rob, being such a you know forward thinking guy, and you know being a third generation you know distiller, his grandfather and father in the business, really you know saw this you know the, the the RTD thing way early on, and he had the idea to revive rock and rye, but do it as a, a modernized you know or he wanted to modernize it as a as a rye whiskey old fashioned. And so I, Christy and I were invited aboard originally to help with the naming of it. And, you know, he, we we're like, well, okay, what, you know, what do you want to do here? And he's like, I want to revive rock and rye and modernize it. The rye was skill fashion. Okay. That makes sense. Pull out the whorehound, uh, you know, at Angostura. Um, and, you know, it's like, well, what do you want this brand to be? 
And, and at the time, he's like, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I was like, okay, you want a rock and roll brand. And <laughs> that, that, that made a ton of sense to me. And Christy, we have you know, kind of big musical backgrounds. And, um, you know, we came up with a ton of names. And um, when I, you know, presented them to Rob, it was, you know, we went through the list. And uh, Souther, your question was, is like, with the can itself, well, Christy had thrown into the mix canned heat. And we were thinking about the old, you know, the old Bowery yeah. drunks, you know, sitting there drinking Sterno, filtering it through a sock. As, you know, it, yeah. Rob wanted a brand with some edge. And anyways, as we were going down the list, you know, why and how and all these different things, you know, could work, you know, the, you know, Rob was such a student of packaging. And if you look at his, you know, his father and grandfather's company, uh, Charles Jacques, when see there in Philly, they had done some really dynamic packaging over time, going back to Forbidden Fruit. And then they took that package and, you know, his father created Chambord and they used the, the orb for Chambord. So Rob had had the canned idea in his mind for a long time. And so when we got to canned heat, he was like, we're going to do this in cans. And interestingly enough, the, the, the real work, the conversation started in 08. We put out, which turned into me getting involved in a much more robust way uh, in the creation of the brand and the formulation. But um, the the original product came out in 2011 at Tails in a very raucous party. Yeah, Tails to, Tails yeah. 2011. I was there. Saint. Yep. yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I helped Rob produce that one. And uh, not safe for radio. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I believe I was there. <laughs> the, the tape is missing, unfortunately. It was yeah. about a thousand degrees, and there was yeah, big tubs terrible. full of ice and can yeah. uh, slow and low. And I remember I had to dunk my head into one of those tubs because it was so freaking hot. <laughs> it was. It yeah. was. It, it was a pressure cooker. Shirt Steam was off is, for sure. Yes. <laughs> there was a lot going on that night. There was a lot. The, the can, Ann Tunerman was uh, super excited about it. It was a, it was a, it was a very sanctioned event. Um, <laughs> yes. um, no, so the cans actually did not come out. The, 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 the real work didn't start until 2012. Mm -hmm. And Rob went to um, originally, you know, basically got turned down everywhere he went trying to find somebody who would do it. And the original plan was actually to do it in a 200 ml can. Rob's idea was, and keep in mind, when Solno first hit the market, it had a six-year age statement at 98 proof. Yeah, and right. and um, so you know, it was very tough finding somebody to take on the manufacturing of it, and ultimately, it took it took four years. So from 2012 to 2016 was was the real work, and so the cans came out and hit the market for the first time. The 100 ml can for the first time in August of 2016. And, you know, we first to market and, um, and, you know, it was, it was interesting because this was similar to a green tea can that he had found overseas. And, you know, Japan has some of the most dynamic packaging, yeah. um, you know, different can sizes, but you know, the, the, you know, the, the minimum, the MOQ, the minimum order quantity is, is always a, is always a fun hurdle to, uh, to take on. <laughs> right. I mean, it, but I want to talk about just briefly that it, coming out of, in, in 2012, you're really at the tip of the spear of the RTD kind of thing, right? I think so. I mean, if you really, if you, if you dial back, you know, Rob saw and really part of his genius was, you know, he was such a friend to the bartending community. You know, him and Simon Ford in the early days were really the only brand guys that you know, it took a while for the bigger companies to really embrace, um, you know, what was happening behind the bar in any meaningful way. And Rob and uh, what Rob and Katie were, were very early on in that. And they were, you know, our age. Rob is only like six months older than me. We, you know, got on very, very well. And, you know, Rob was, you saw the potential in, you know, an old fashioned lends itself to shelf stability in ways that a lot of other cocktails don't. And um, yeah, 2012. Man, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I feel very fortunate that Amore Amargo, you know, during the pandemic when we were doing to-go cocktails, we were able to bottle, you know, because again, everything we do is somewhat shelf-stable. We're just mixing a bunch of shelf-stable things together to create a bigger shelf-stable thing. So yeah, the old-fashioned, I think, is sh should always have been kind of the first ready-to-drink cocktail. Well, what's interesting is 
if you look back, Hubeline was doing ready to drink cocktails in the late 1800s. Right. This isn't a new phenomenon. What's, no, no. what's really interesting is, is the ebb and flow over the years. You know, in, in the 60s, uh, Jim Beam had had, you know, an old fashioned and a can. Um, it, from what I can tell, it looks like it was at, at uh, 30, uh, 30% ABV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's not like the first Jockwins. Uh, I've got, you know, a formula book from Jockwins in the 40s, and they had a, a bottled old fashioned back when. So it's, is it a new idea? What's really interesting is just, how, you know, the, the trends and qualities, you know, ebb and flow, rye whiskey was, you know, on life support up until, you know, the, the mid aughts and uh, having, you know, participated when, you know, Audrey Saunders and Dave Wondrich got Rittenhouse back in New York. Mm-hmm. when I was at, I was on the opening team there at Pegu Club and we opened at the end of August of 05. Uh, we received the first Rittenhouse in October and Audrey had put Dave Wondrich's, uh, I'm sorry, Dale DeGroff's whiskey smash on the menu. Mm-hmm. The makers is the way Dale had made it. And we immediately switched out makers for Rittenhouse. Audrey had committed to a palette uh, with, with Southern uh, wine and spirits. And we sold through that in record time, you know, for a $12.75 bottle of rye whiskey. Yeah, Rob well. saw that. And, you know, it's like overnight that became that Rittenhouse is on every important back bar, you know, in New York and yeah. just kind of like a rocket ship. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say, like about Robbie, he's just like a real true visionary, you know, he like really, really knew how to read the room and kind of almost in ways predict the future or just build, build out the future, you know, like, you know, with the rock and rye with slow and low with like, I mean, obviously with St. Germain, I mean, good God, like, what a behemoth that is, you know, in, in <laughs> you know, um, but even with like lock, stock and barrel, like they're just, he was always, always ahead of the game, you know, and that's to, to your point, you know, he really tapped into what was happening at the bars. Cause I mean, God, and as you put it like so much earlier than any of the other bigger brands, like he really like blazed a lot of trails, uh, you know, in his, in his career and time. Mm-hmm. He, absolutely. He, you know, he was a very curious guy and, um, and, you know, he, he was brought into the business by his father, you know, five, six years old, uh, Norton or Norton went by the name Sky. Sky would bring, you know, Rob and his brother, John, you know, along, got them involved in the business. And Rob just was that unique guy who was curious interested in the family history, you know, the history of Jockwins and knew where the levers were in the business. And then, you know, read the room right and said, okay, here are the lanes, you know, going into the future and in a way that was really incredible. And it was, you know, I, it was amazing getting to work with him and, um, you know, learn from him. And drive the van. (laughs) The sweetest van. Well, here's what's really cool about the van. I got a shout, shout out to Katie Cooper. So Katie uh, grew up in Laguna Beach. And when uh, Rob and Katie sold St. Germain, they, they, they moved to the office. used to be at 30th Street and 5th Avenue in Manhattan. And so they essentially moved shop to the West Coast, um, at least from the, from the marketing offices. And um, Katie's uh, grandfather had a van conversion business that they did like super, you know, pimped out vans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in Fullerton down here in Orange County. So, um, you know, it was, it, it's, there's, there's, there's a family connection with all that. This is a, we have the 78 Chevy van that is, uh, that is quite the piece that we'd love to trot out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's always been a cool thing about, uh, Cooper spirits. It's like, you know, you had the Citroen, uh, truck van delivery van the, the old french uh for the uh, yep. uh saint germain activations i remember like spending a lot of time there at tails and then the next thing i'm, I'm a big classic car guy so like you know I, i'm a huge mm-hmm. appreciator you know i just i just think that you know rob always had like really he really like he had his uh, finger on a lot of uh pulse i mean like I, like i guess he liked me too because uh when lock stock and barrel came out uh I think it was the, oh, geez, um, Malt Advocate or one of those, the tasting. The 13-year? Yeah, it was, oh. it was one of those magazines. Uh, anyway, he was like, we got to get Damon to do the feature on this. 
So it's like the first article that was written about it, he was like, let's get Damon to, uh, to like send him a couple of bottles and like do a review and maybe some cocktails and have him like, you know, do a, a feature with this magazine. Uh, tasting panel. It was tasting panel. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. He and I just like, we kind of had uh, very similar tastes. So no wonder I like this stuff, you know, <laughs> like it's just yeah. cool, cool guy. Well, I was going to say, yeah, no, you know, the you know, Rob was, you know, he made great friends with, uh, I th think about, you know, coming kind of out of, out of our generation or, you know, how many people have had a ton of success and, and influence in the business. And Rob was, you know, a friend to all of us and, you know, found, found these access points and, you know, when we got invited in, it's, it's kind of incredible getting to like work with him and, you know, learn and it, it created another lane of opportunity. Um, you know, the, the, the lock stock story though, is really kind of incredible in that, you know, Rob as early as, you know, as we started the slow and low conversations or what became slow and low, um, he started, you know, he, he went to heaven Hill and expecting to find, he had seen the 21 year and then the 23 year come out and, expecting that there's a rick house full of full of rye and uh they're like yeah there's 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 we don't have anything it's like you know right. we're, we're doing production one day a year yep and right. um and he was quite you know crestfallen and surprised you know by it so he ended up uh getting to adl in alberta uh or calgary alberta and finding this you know giant cache of barrels that was essentially a bumper crop that was produced by somebody else that ended up not wanting it. And he secured, you know, this crazy amount of lots that had been distilled between March and May of 1999. And, you know, from the beginning, and so it was about nine, 10 years old by the time when he made the purchase and on the initial, on the initial lots. And, you know, I remember tasting, tasting it back then, um, and so the original slow and low was the six year age statement was made with that juice, but you know, it was so ahead of the market at the time with the, with the, the higher proof age statement and it was over the head of the market. Mm. Um, and so the, the vatted was born, um, out of that. And then, you know, Rob really saw the potential in all the conditions that make lock, stock and barrel unique for long, longer aging, um, because it's, it's much cooler climate there in Calgary. And so, and then the barrel conditions and the barrels themselves all lent itself to, you know, to a potential longer run. And that was, that was always the idea. Yeah. Talk a little bit about like the choice. I mean, I know that it was classic to use, uh, you know, the rock and rye, right? Rock candy syrup. Like I don't even understand necessarily what rock candy syrup is. Do you make a rock candy first and then make that into syrup? It's a great question. So rock yeah. candy is literally goes back at least a thousand years yeah. like, to the Persians, right? You know, it, it's this old thing. It's, it's, it's sucrose. It's crystallized sugar, right? Yeah, it, exactly. And it's all about the crystallization, how you allow the crystallization to happen. It's a fancy name for, uh, you know, I mean, if you take rock candy syrup, it's no different than, you know, it's cane sugar syrup. Um, what's, you know, interesting though, is, is if you, if you dig down and you look at sugar processing in the 19th century, it wasn't, you didn't have the fluffy white sugar that we see today. It wasn't that clean. It, you know, you would have got it by the loaf and, um, it wouldn't have been, you know, it would have had a little bit more of a molasses content. Um, the loaves, I think that the example I always use is more akin to like a piloncillo that you see in like a Mexican grocery yes. store. Yes. You know, and so you would have had that or you would have had these like more, you know, robust kind of rocks uh, or bigger crystals of sugar. Um, and then, you know, obviously add water to it, you know, uh, cook it down or dissolve it. Uh, you get rock candy syrup. Right. And it gives a great mouthfeel. Like we're, we're, I'm sipping on one now in my home studio. And uh, and I remember the first time I got a bottle of, uh, of the stuff, I poured it just over a this one I just was in my fridge, but I'm, uh, when I first got the bottle of stuff, I poured it over uh, a big cube of ice, and uh, I was like, man, this is just, like, so, <clears throat> again, so ready to drink, you know? Uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I cruised through half that bottle before I realized how far I'd gone with it, and, and I still had the same piece of ice in my glass. Wow, that's, 
<laughs> I mean, that, that, that's the idea, you know. So there's, you know, there's we a had lot of reasons we, you said wow, and I understand all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, when we first when we first had the conversation about the formulation of it, we actually we did all the prototypes at Milk and Honey in 2009. I, you know, Christy and I were running our our business cuffs and buttons out of the basement. We went in one afternoon, and we we had the old formulas because if you look at the bottle slow and low. So there's the Hoch, the Hochstatter's right. name, 1884. Well, so Mr. Hochstatter and Charles Jacquin started the company in New York City in 1884, and they they built a very robust portfolio of products. But they came out the rock and rye in 1884. And I've looked at the you know I've seen the old formula, and then Jacquin's has had a rock and rye available and still does robust business in Pennsylvania. And the thing is, is that that rye became over time unaged. The sugar content became, you know, uh, increased. Mm. And, you know, rock and rye's quality kind of really declined throughout the 20th century. So Rob was like, I want to I get real aged rye whiskey back into the product. And, you know, we both thought it was too sweet. And I was like, well, look, let's just do it. You know, let's just look at you know, let's weigh a bunch of sugar cubes, find an average. Let's look at a quarter ounce of simple syrup and kind of took the, took the, um, you know, the, the same approach that, you know, we had behind the bar and let's, let's standardize this. And so Rob's one addition was wanting to use orange blossom, um, honey, raw orange blossom, honey as a mouthfeel component. And it really does enhance the mouthfeel of yes. the rock and rye. It's a higher quality sweetener. If you taste the honey on its own, it's it's got its own kind of gorgeous floral, subtle floral qualities that are, I, I call them kind of, it's a subliminal element that enhances the rock and rye. I mean, yeah, because it is quite, you know, even sipping on it now, it's just quite silky. It's got a feeling that, uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's, it's very unique. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I need to. Uh, I've already gotten through my whiskey box, so this might be a good time to take a break so I can go grab another can. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but we're we're uh, we're at that time of the show where we're gonna take a break, listen to uh, some words from our sponsors, and continue talking about slow and low, and you know, just uh, all the cool. I don't know. I like it's it's the best RTD out there, and that's it. And you know, as we said before, you know. Rob Cooper was way ahead of the, the game and as well as, you know, Chad and, and Christy. So uh, let's take a quick break and get back into it uh, in just a few. Yeah. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You are listening to the 500th episode of the Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Go us. And today we're talking with uh, Chad Solomon of Slow and Low. I've been talking about a lot of the products that you've been doing since 1884, it says in the can. So, you know, close to uh, 150 years of this, which is just wild. And I'm actually sipping on some of your some of your newer stuff. I've got this whiskey sunshine here, which I actually haven't taken a sip of until right this moment. Mm. which has got a really nice level of like carbonation. The, the citrus is there, but it's not overpowering. And you can definitely tell that it's one of my, one of my beefs about a lot of 
RTDs is that you either lose the main ingredient, the star of the show, or you lose all the other stuff that's in there. But this is like nicely balanced and I appreciate it. And I'd like to hear a little more about kind of moving away from uh, what you've been doing for the past century and a half and uh, breaking some new ground with this one and the uh, whiskey buck that you also sent us. Well, so, you know, I, as I, as I mentioned previously, um, Rob and Katie had, had, had hired us to consult on, you know, the naming and it turned into a more robust uh, participation in the cre creation of the brand. But Christy and I always had our own business. We're doing other things. Um, and in, in 2019, uh, Katie Cooper reached out and, uh, had a conversation and kind of a level set, you know, where the company was, where the brands were, and, and those were very productive conversations that, that led to Christy and I joining Cooper Spirits in a formal capacity for the first time in, uh, we formally came on in, uh, I think it was March of 2020. And... Um, but with, with a mandate to really grow the brand and to, to continue on Rob's legacy of innovation. Um, and you know, the, the first, the first thing out of the gate, um, was, was the coffee old fashioned was, was kind of easier to accomplish in a faster or quicker manner. But in the back of, you know, my mind was always the, the idea, liquid sunshine, and when, mm. when Rob and I had a ton of brainstorming sessions, you know, about kind of creating the, you know, the, the brand voice, the, you know, the brand essence, uh, all of that stuff early on, you know, we, we brought a lot of, you know, shared reference points into the conversation, you know, that were, you know, from totally wild to, to, to very classic. And George Bernard Shaw, the Irish poet, his, his quote, whiskey is liquid sunshine. Well, we took it. And our view was, was, well, what would Kim, you know, Ken Kesey or uh, Timothy Leary or Aldous <laughs> Huxley, you know, we took a more psychedelic, you know, kind of view. But if you look at with the, with the citrus infusion into the rock and rye, it really is. It brings a new dimension or element uh, to, to the idea of whiskey is liquid sunshine. Well, when uh, uh, Christy and I opened Midnight Rambler in Dallas, um, you know, we had our cocktail bar in Dallas, Texas. Um, I would do slow and low Sundays and, uh, we, we, we had a happy hour and, uh, one of the names that I come up with for, for, for slow and low was called checkered past. So we, we, we did like a beer and a shot. We called it a checkered past. So it'd be like a pony of high life and, you know, a shot of slow and low rock and rye. And over time, like, you know, outside of the old fashioned, it was like, well, you know, rock and rye, if, if you really, if you look at a classic sour based cocktail, in the, you know, the milk and honey or the pegu template, three quarters of an ounce of lemon, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup, two ounces of spirit. Um, with slow and low rock and rye, it's every two ounces has the equivalent of a quarter ounce, you know, of sugar syrup, right? Mm -hmm. So if you dial back and then just adjust that ratio to three quarters of an ounce of lemon, half ounce of, of simple syrup, and two ounces of rock and rye, it's the same balance. Right. Um, so that led to like, well, let's, I, I wanted to embody, you know, what a liquid sunshine. And so in my mind, it was always like thinking from a musical standpoint, well, what's kind of like quadraphonic or psychedelic citrus. So I wanted more elements of citrus as opposed to just the lemon. So it was like orange, lemon, and grapefruit. Uh, it's more dynamic bitters you know, at the time and shake it out, like, and, and kind of looking at a daisy template, you know, like a whiskey, like a rock and rye margarita, but with more dynamic citrus. And so I'd made that. And, and, you know, people love that on slow and low Sundays, we do different, you know, DJ sets with call it slow and low Sunday school, like in deep dives into these, you know, very esoteric musical pockets. So fast forward now thinking of innovation ideas, it was like, all right, let's bring liquid sunshine to life in a can. And the trick is, you know, bringing citrus into, we're talking about shelf stability earlier. Citrus is one of the most fragile and perishable, um, you know, ingredients to work with. And citrus oxidation is the enemy of most RTDs. And so that was like the nut to crack, you know, in doing both sunshine and buck. But that's, that's, that's the run up and, you know, um, to, I guess, how these were born. I was going to ask actually earlier, um, but you just answered it. Um, you know, there's so many 
spirits out there in the world um, that are essentially, you know, we we're talking about just the history of, of spirits and, and kind of bottled cocktails and, and RTDs, you know, like whenever, if you tell the Carthusian monks that you're mixing chartreuse with other things, they're like, what? Well, they don't speak. Right. They, yeah. They're like, well, they're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, but as far as, you know, being innovative with it, it's like, you know, you've got the rock and rye. And I was going to ask earlier if there was any kind of like using that in, as an ingredient in a cocktail, even though it already is a cocktail. So you just answer that. And I think that's what's really cool about it too. As you mentioned, you know, like just kind of building out a sour from the rock and rye is a pretty easy thing to do you know like you're using fresh lemon juice and you uh, bumping up the like simple syrup or whatever even other liqueurs you know like uh, it like saint germain for instance you know like <laughs> you can like really build on top of it because at the end of the day like the or of the beginning of cocktails really the old-fashioned is you know the grandfather of all of them and everything kind of started as a variation on the, the original cocktail so that's it's kind of brilliant that you can actually like pop open one of these cans and I like as a person, I think I'm the first person who ever just like opened up a whole bottle of Underberg and threw it in a shaker. You know, like if you can just crack yeah. open a can and pour the whole thing into a shaker or a mixing glass, there's something really badass about that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and rock and roll. Yeah. And even yeah. on this can of the whiskey bucket says kick out the jams. I'm a huge MC five fan. So really appreciate yes. that. <laughs> why I put it on there yeah jo Joseph Schwartz I, I don't know if you guys know the, the great Joseph Schwartz uh is is one of the the more most important people in the milk and honey story that mm -hmm. Joseph in particular brought you know in the very early days milk and honey Sasha and TJ or when Sasha opened the bar his childhood best friend TJ they had the Savoy cocktail book and TJ right. I, I bring his name up he created the gold rush that we all know but um, uh, then uh, Toby Maloney brought in Charles Schumann's American Bar. Um, and Joseph, though, brought in the W.C. Whitfield cocktail books, Just Cocktails and Here's How. And in that, there was the Gin Buck. And so very early on, you, we had the Moscow, we know, obviously we made the Sasha's Ginger Syrup, the Moscow Mule, and, you know, a Gin Buck, a Whiskey Buck make these things and that's you know that was when with looking for a companion to to whiskey sunshine there's a lot of obvious obvious drinks we could do but that's where the the, the buck came and in the in the wc whitfield book there's an illustration you know of a horse kicking and uh you know the the english you know the gin buck gin and ginger beer you know is you know adding a kick to your to your to your uh to your ginger beer with gin um you know so it's just like taking it a further step let's 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 get wayne kramer and crew you know in on the in on it and, and kick out the jams <laughs> motherfuckers <laughs> exactly <Yeah. Exclamation. laughs> oh man it's so cool well i mean like you know also just building off of those like classic cocktails like the the slow and like rock and rye old-fashioned you also have this coffee version which is really interesting. Can you talk to us about that one? Yeah, with Intelligentsia, yes. right? That's, they're they're a big known coffee brand. They are Intelligentsia. They, those guys are just first class um, you know, pioneers in the specialty coffee coffee space since I think 1995. And you know they just they're very thoughtful about every every step in the in the coffee chain. You know they really honor the agriculture. Uh, they and you know they they thoughtfully source you know roast and, and then extract. Um, you know, to, to highlight the, the fruit, you know, and, and its best potential from wherever it comes from in the world. I, years ago, uh, uh, Christy and I and, and Audrey Saunders had a brief uh, project, partnered and opened a bar in Los Angeles in 2009 called The Tar Pit. And while we were doing that, um, ended up getting to do an event in Silver Lake with Tomas Estes and uh, Tequila Ocho. And the at the time the director of education uh, for intelligentsia, and that was my first exposure to them. We did a proper, you know, cupping, and I was just really impressed. Um, so fast forward, when we were looking, you know, to new um, extensions in the slow and low universe, um, 
you know, there was a, a consensus um, at Cooper Spirits about coffee. And so the idea was, was to approach Intelligentsia and do a coffee old fashioned based on uh, my idea was to look at looking at Cafe Brulot. It's the greatest coffee mm-hmm. cocktail, mm-hmm. you know. And so taking Cafe Brulot as a as a starter, it's got all the elements. Obviously, it's a brandy drink, um, which is amazing. But you know, can we do a cold serve? It's on an elemental level, same way that Rock and Rye is on an sure. elemental level, an old fashioned. Let's look at you know the same elements at, at Brulot. So, but I wanted to modernize it. I didn't want the, the overly heavy roasted coffee. I wanted something that kind of spoke, you know, to the, you know, the, the tip of the spear where coffee is now. And so Intelligentsia was game and it was really, really exciting working with their director, you know, of innovation, Bailey, and uh, tasting through their coffees and, and looking for something that was going to be optimized in a, in a, in a cold format serve. And um, that, that was the challenge. And then obviously figuring out, you know, the, the balance, the formulation. So this one took about 62 iterations, uh, but I'm really, really pleased the way it came out. And same with the Rock and Rye. It's obviously meant to be a pour over old fashioned. It's, it's optimum serve as pour of rice. But, you know, it's like if you want to anchor an espresso martini mm. or make all the other you want to you want to go uh, Lebowski and make a Caucasian, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it's 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 there for you. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even really considered uh, the uh, the option of using it as an ingredient. I just like to drink it as it stands. Um, I noticed also on the cans and in, in all of your media and, and things like that, you're pretty proud to to mention um, Union Made, uh, and then there's even mention of Scobyville on here. Um, I'm a I'm a fan of the unions. I think they, you know, we, we lost the we lost our way in, in this country with unions, and I feel like we're finally kind of coming back to that. Talk to, talk a little bit about the fact that you're union made and, and proud to be so. Well, so you know, um, Rob's uh, family, uh, you know, has uh, Jacqueline AC in Philadelphia in the Kensington neighborhood, Kensington neighborhood in South Philly, and um, you know that that's a union crew, and Rob saw you know nobility in that. And in a nobility and labor and putting in hard work and doing things with integrity and, you know, wanted to put that, um, you know, out front. And so that was, that was baked into the brand, um, you know, up front. And there, there was just a, you know, a pride in that. Now um, we produce at uh, Laird & Co. in Scobieville, New Jersey, uh, right outside Asbury Park at the, the historic DSP number one, uh, Laird & Co., yeah, Lisa, Lisa Laird was just on the show, so that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that, and what a, what a great interview! Lisa's Lisa's great. We are longtime fans and and uh, collaborators, and continue to, you know, try to tell that story. What an incredible, incredible history with that family mm-hmm. and 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 Apple Brandy and Applejack in America. But yeah, so but there's a there's a union crew there at Scobieville, at um, at their production facility, you know, and I think that like this. You know, Rob was always big on, you know, inspired by, you know, 19th century tradition crafted with integrity and the labor component was um, something that, you know, he wanted to celebrate. And we still celebrate. I mean, that's incredible. And I think that's, uh, for again, just for, in general for America, I think the way forward for the worker to get uh, what they're owed uh, and deserve, uh, unions are going to need to come back pretty strong. So I'm happy to hear that and see that. That's pretty great. Um, always looking backwards uh, uh, with uh, um, respect, but you're but you're always looking forward as well, right? So uh, you've got these two releases that we've just talked about and tasted a bit of here on the show. Um, you just uh, sort of dropped in our ear that you got a, a limited release possibly coming out. We want to talk about that a little bit. We do. So you know, there's a in, in the solo universe. Uh, previously, um, there was an eight year old, um, eight year age statement, hundred proof version of Rock and Rye released, and then a six-year version. And so um, I went back in, and um, we've, we've got a six-year-old, 100-proof release, but I slightly changed up the formulation. So I dropped the honey, brought in Demerara sugar, and increased the amount of uh, bitters. Um, and so this is now shipping, and um, we'll do one more release later this year. Really, really excellent. Got to get you guys a get, get you guys a sample. Yeah, love to love yeah. to taste it and, and see it. 
it's just cool to know that you're again always sort of being respectful to the past but continually innovating and, and trying to move forward with new products and interesting things for your consumers and for us to taste and share with people. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that um, I, I, you know, the lock, stock and barrel um, got some exciting things that will continue to, I don't have any news other than the fact that there's a, a brand new uh, blend on the vatted out now that is a blend of, of straight rise seven to 15 years old. Um, so there's a seven year, a 10 year, a 12 and a 15 year um, blended in there. So grab it while you can. These are limited releases. There will be another limited drop later this year, but that's something that will continue to grow. Um, and you know, that's, very cool. you know, continually looking to, uh, to there'll be future innovations in that space as well. Yeah. I mean, people who like whiskey and like to um, experience sort of the growth of a brand, like that's, that's a great, I think that's a great thing to do. Drop out releases. Um, and you know, it's like, I don't know, like any like Supreme, you know, like everyone's going to line up to grab it because they want to want to get theirs and, and drink it and enjoy it. But I will, I drink it and enjoy it. I know a lot of people collect them, but, um, but yeah, pretty excited about those things as well. Good luck finding What's it in Oregon. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You just you just gotta have some friends up there. That's the problem. Yeah, you just gotta know the right people. Exactly. It's a perk. It's, a perk. it's just a perk. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome, man. I'd like it's good catching up with you, Chad. But you know, you're a total legend in this industry. I remember first uh, uh, hearing about you from Linnell when I was working at Linnell's in in Brooklyn, and I got to meet you and Christy shortly after that. So I've been kind of following your work along with uh, the work of Slow and Low and and Ashtoners and 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 you know obviously all the Cooper spirits, but uh, it's really cool to hear. And what a fun guest to have on for our 500th episode. Yeah, for you know, sure, man. Really, really appreciate your time. Oh, guys, yeah, this has been incredible. Thank you so much, and uh, you know, really great catching up. You know, with, with all of you. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great to have you. And and you know, before we go, I just want to say also a quick thank you to uh, everybody that's listening. You know, everybody that stuck with us for for 500 episode. I can't imagine another human being sticking with me for something that I do 500 <laughs> times. So I really appreciate the fact that everyone, you know, keeps tuning in, keeps uh, writing those reviews, keeps writing to us, keeps um, just enjoying it and spreading the word. And uh, we, we really appreciate that you've been with us and uh, shared some laughs and helped us grow. And uh, here's to 500 more y'all. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I'm at the end of this whiskey sunshine. That's why I'm feeling sappy at the end of yeah, the show. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we've we've been on the air for over 12 years, 500 episodes. We're in over 70 countries, and there's one listener in Zambia. You know, so thank you for the one <laughs> listener in Zambia. We do it for uh, you. Yeah. It's <laughs> just for you. Um, some great rock and roll coming out of there too. Um, but yeah, again, thanks. Uh, thanks again for Chad Solomon for being on the show, 500 episode. Thank you to Heritage Radio Network. We should definitely yes. thank Heritage Radio. Mm-hmm. And all the great people who've worked with us over the years. Thank you to Armin, who's working with us today. And yeah, God, let's, yeah, 500 more. Let's keep going, guys. Let's do it. All right. Until, until then, uh, until next week, all I can say is cheers. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Cheers, thanks everybody. For, thanks for watching the odometer flip. Here's how. <laughs> Indeed. So you don't shun the devil with your right. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food and drink radio supported by you keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe <laughs> <laughs>